I learned firsthand the importance of maintaining that government-to-government -government relationship. And I think that one of those things that we see when there's not a supportive, strong state travel relationship is some, some of those fractionated conversations. And these are times when obviously emotions are running high, our stress levels are running high. It's not gonna take very much to, to dial that up. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Keynotes, a podcast from the Keystone Policy Center, and the fourth and final episode in our series examining our COVID-19 response effort among tribal communities in Southwest Colorado. I'm Marcus Chavez, Communications Director for the Keystone Policy Center. So far in this series, we have highlighted our engagement on food security issues, expanding mental health services, and increasing broadband access for the Ute Mountain and Southern Ute tribes. On this episode, I want to examine an issue that, again, has been intensified by the COVID-19 pandemic. That being the collaboration, or sometimes the lack thereof, among the sovereign governments at the tribal, state, and federal level. Specifically examining how crucial it is that they work together, respecting each other's rights and jurisdictions, to serve their members and constituents. Like every other issue we've highlighted so far, the pandemic has either exposed the underlying flaws or amplified the strengths in those relationships. As just one brief example, let me share with you what can happen when those government-to-government -government relationships are strained. Like most tribal nations in the United States, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in South Dakota set up checkpoints in the spring on highways that went through the tribe's land to limit the spread of coronavirus on its reservation. As you will recall from our first episode, many tribes, including the Ute Mountain and Southern Ute Tribes in Colorado, set up similar travel restrictions on their land to limit exposure to their members. Unfortunately, in South Dakota, the state's governor claimed that the checkpoints infringed on the state's power and she threatened legal action if the tribe didn't remove them. The federal government also got involved and further inflamed tensions when officials threatened to withhold federal funding for the tribe's police force. Unfortunately, the tribe ultimately filed a lawsuit in federal district court to prevent the state from closing the checkpoints and the federal government from withholding funding. To get to the heart of this issue, it's best to first understand one of the foundational principles of Indian law, articulated in 1831 by Chief Justice John Marshall, which is that tribes retain certain inherent powers of self-government as domestic-dependent nations. That means tribes both possess certain inherent powers of self-government and are also entitled to federal benefits, services, and protections. Tribes have sovereign authority over their people and land, and respecting that sovereignty is key to building strong government-to-government -government relationships between tribes and states or among tribes in the federal government. Consultation is also critical, which refers to the collaborative involvement of tribes in the development of regulatory policies on matters that have tribal implications. If the communication or consultation breaks down, or even worse, doesn't exist at all, that's when issues like the one we see in South Dakota flare up. Government-to-government -government relationships is all about communication, in my opinion. It, it focuses so much around how that communication goes. And I've often pressed, for example, the state of Colorado when I was working there, uh, that the agreements that we make at the state level are really in my, in my eyes, and I hope that the tribe saw it the same way, is this renewed commitment, not just to the government to government relationship, but to those treaties that were signed and were broken over years and over and over again. And now we're trying to go back and identify what needed to be done and how it can be done better. And I think that any type of policies and consistency that you're trying to get um, to make these policies permanent moving into the future are based 
It's all based off that communication. By now, you recognize the voice of Ernest House Jr., the director of Keystone's American Indian Alaska Native program, reiterating the crux of the issue, communication. I mean, it's the key to any strong relationship, right? Sure. But so is work. There are several reasons why there has been historical breakdown in the relationship between tribes and the state and federal government. That breakdown having caused tribes across the country to bear the inequitable negative consequences for centuries. But even under the best of circumstances, the moving parts alone in government make the long-term commitment to prioritizing these relationships complicated. Again, Ernest House Jr. explains. But you have to work hard at it. It takes a long time to receive and an even harder time to maintain. And primarily because we have revolving doors on both the tribal side and the state and federal side. There's tribal elections every year as well. And so, you know, when you bring in new folks, especially folks who haven't been involved in the conversation and for especially for tribal elected positions, but the whole idea is that, you know, especially when you look at the election cycle at both the tribal side and the state side and the federal side, when you implement policies um, that you hope that the federal government will adhere to, and the same thing with the state, a lot of these fundings models are funded by Congress. They're funneled down through different federal agencies that go to state agencies and state agencies Initially, I mean, the idea is that they would go to tribal agencies as well, that tribes and states would be coordinating. But you'd be surprised how many states are not talking to their tribes. And I've often thought that it's it's that's where the logjam is. If if there's no good communication system between the state and the, and the tribes, the intended purpose, the bill on whatever page that was buried in that huge document in D.C., someone who advocated for that, tribes or states or congressional reps, whoever that might be, it never reaches its intended purpose. And that's what we're seeing the gap in Indian country. Todd Geeson, the Mogawan Behavior Health Program Director for the U Mountain U Tribe, and another voice I'm sure you recognize by now, also explains just one of the cross-jurisdictional issues he comes across in his work. To both tribes' credit, to both um, Ute Mountain Ute Tribe and the Southern Ute Indian Tribe out of Ignacio, they've done a great job together. Um, and individually, and with with some outside facilitation at times like Keystone has done, um, it's been great to hear that. And that's the constant conversation um, that I hear coming from council is the government to government relationship, because there's land rights, there's water rights. Even with Medicaid, 94% of our uh, tribal membership here in Toyok is eligible for Colorado Medicaid. And so how do we navigate those waters? That's a huge piece. And also, how do we utilize Medicaid in conjunction with Indian Health Services and purchase referral care? So those are, those are things that are done, I call it up at the complex, because those are the big decisions that our council makes in conjunction with the state representatives and our tribal liaisons. And those guys do that heavy lifting. And without that government-to-government relationship, it would be it would be a totally different conversation. I can't say for sure, but I get the sense that there are more examples than not of state government officials throughout the country who at least want to build and strengthen the government-to-government relationships between the tribes and the states. These officials often visit tribal communities to learn more about their members and their needs. But even with the best of intentions, 
Government officials sometimes tend to dictate the policies that they think need to be implemented rather than consult with the tribe on the issues. And given our country's history regarding the relationship between government and the tribes, you can understand why there's a heavy dose of skepticism that can accompany these efforts. You know, every, every group that I take down to southwestern Colorado, which I take a lot of groups down, um, and we do introductions to groups, and we talk about Native American history, and particularly history in Colorado, <laughs> you know, I've, I've often, especially if they're from a state agency or federal agency or someone who's never worked for Indian country, um, maybe the response has always kind of been, you know, you see all these needs in on reservation communities and people have seen the 60 minute specials and everything of all the worst part about Indian country. Right. And so quickly, I think folks go to that mind frame of this is what I'm potentially walking into and they're preparing themselves for that. And so at the same time, they also try to want to find the silver bullet. They want to try to find the solution. And especially for government, government tends to draft that solution, get everything done and then go down and say, Hey, you mountain tribe, this is the best thing for you. You know, and so I often used to tell folks that don't say you're from the government and you're here, you're here to help. Don't say you have a silver bullet and this is what's going to solve all, all your problems. Sit down at the table and listen to their stories. Commit to learning about you history and culture or whatever tribe you're working with. Because this is this is a long process. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. You know, tribes are looking for those partnerships. They're looking to build those allies. And you know, if if somebody just comes in and and wants to be able to have a quick turnaround process, or just to be able to, they've said that they've been done, been able to do an outreach, quick outreach project with the tribe. You know, I feel like that sets that group back. I recently sat down to talk with Victoria Vasquez, owner and CEO of Tribal Tech LLC and Cowan and Associates, organizations she leads that provide consulting services for American Indian tribes and government. She is a member of the San Pasqual Band of Mission Indians, and her father even served as the tribal chairman. I was talking with her because Keystone Policy Center awarded her the Keystone Leadership Award in 2020 in recognition of her career, almost the entirety of which she spent working with tribes and government. She offered some sage advice for those doing this work. I recall uh, back when I was working at the Department of Energy and we were just starting with the, the collaboration process with our tribal members and that we impacted through the work that the department does. Um, one of the tribal leaders had said long ago, and I, I remember this to this day as I work with them, was um, work with us with the pencil and the eraser. Uh, don't put it in any. You know, you, you, you want to listen, talk about it, maybe use that eraser a couple times until you've all collaborated and come up with a solution that, that meets everybody. Echoing the refrain of Ernest House, Vasquez reiterated the need to listen and to understand that tribes are not a monolith. They are unique with their own unique history and culture with each community facing different needs. There is no one-size-fits-all solution. The, the, the best approach is... Number one, and most importantly, is to listen. Um, even though I'm native myself, I'm from Southern California. In San Diego County, we have probably 19, 20 tribes just in that locale. We have over 100 tribes in the state. So we're all different. You have over 580 throughout the United States. And there's no right or one answer that applies to all. So you've got to listen, 
uh, work on issue to issue. You know, we've got issues throughout the federal government, not just in the health and wellness, not just in education, not just in energy. You know, there's agriculture. Look at today, the COVID, um, how we've been impacted. Uh, you've got to go out there, um, and I go back to that pencil and eraser and really sit down and listen and, and provide the services that they are asking for and the needs uh, that need to be served. As Todd Geeson explained earlier, and as I hope we have been able to highlight over the course of this series, the Colorado State Government and the governments of the Ute Mountain Ute and Southern Ute tribes have shown a commitment to work together to solve problems. You take that collaboration along with some facilitation work from the Keystone Policy Center and you get to see real results. These governments have worked together to expand mental health care services to tribal members. They're working to increase broadband access. And even in this past election season, the Colorado Secretary of State worked with the tribes to increase voter awareness and education. That effort also worked. Turnout for active voters living on the Ute Mountain Ute tribal lands increased from 36% in 2016 to nearly 50% in 2020. And the turnout for Southern Utes increased from 46% in 2016 to 70% in 2020. To the council's great credit, they've, for the several, you know, past uh, with Chairman Cuthair and now uh, Chairman Hart and the council, they've been able to, to get those questions answered and to walk away with an actionable plan and not animosity. And that's all the work that these, these uh, our council does and all the work that our tribal liaisons do in conjunction with the governor and lieutenant governor's office. Without that, we, would, um, we wouldn't be as far. I think we've made some great strides because of those relationships. And just this last week, Colorado Governor Jared Polis announced that a comprehensive education initiative for the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe will receive a grant from the Response, Innovation, and Student Equity, or RISE Fund. It's an initiative that Keystone has helped lead a coalition of partners and stakeholders to implement a strategic plan that will bring services that support both academic and cultural advancement for Ute Mountain Ute students and the community at large. Ute Mountain Ute Tribal Chairman Manuel Hart lauded the grant as an example of a collaborative government-to-government effort. Today is a very blessed day for the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. We received word that we were awarded the RISE grant from the state of Colorado through the office of the Colorado Governor Polis. This is what a true government-to-government relationship should be through a partnership of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe and the state of Colorado. A central pillar of this plan is to integrate Ute arts, language, and culture into all levels of education and curriculum. The project, known as Growing Ute STEAM, is another example of the impact a strong government-to-government relationship between tribal and state government can have. And believe me when I say that I can't wait to tell you that story about the education work we have been engaged on for the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. But that is a story I will share at a later time in this podcast. But speaking of education, on the next episode of Keynotes, we switch gears. My hope and my commitment, and Millie and I are working together right now with folks to make sure we never get back to what was accepted as the norm, that we take this opportunity to bring all of those voices together, from the teachers to the system leaders to the experts in every field, and make sure we harness every bit of American ingenuity and every commitment we have to our kids to make sure that it's a better experience, not what was, and that we move forward to what's possible, not to what was the status quo or the norm before that supports our teachers and our kids much better. Keynotes is a production of the Keystone Policy Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Keystone, Colorado, which for more than 45 years has empowered leaders to reach common higher ground. 
This episode has been made possible by contributions from the Ballantine Family Fund and the Denver Foundation. If you would like to learn more about the Keystone Policy Center, visit our website at keystone.org. Thank you.